Philippians chapter 2. Those of you that are faithful to church and you're here, you know uh, once a month pastor is having us look at the idea of striving together and he's been so gracious to allow me to look at those things with you. We're not talking about that today, but as I'm in the book of Philippians, I can't help but find things that I think would benefit our church. Um, because the passage we're going to look at is dovetailed into striving together. And if we don't get this right, we'll have problems. Uh, so... Uh, Pray for me this morning. I trust you want God to do work in our our church. This is real life. Eternity is at stake. Uh, The business of the church is serious. We ought to take it seriously. So much so it ought to consume our life. Really, that's the theme of striving together and only letting your your conversation be becometh the gospel. Every aspect of your life ought to be ordered around the gospel, whether it's your hobby, your employment, certainly your church, um, uh, but your home, everything. But before we look at this passage, I'd like to say welcome back, Brother Sanderson. It's good to see you. I think he flew in last night, and so good to have you back, brother. Uh, Glad to see that you're safe and, and with us again. I know your family's glad you're here, and so is your church family. So good to have you back. But in this letter, the Apostle Paul deals with an obedient people in the book of Philippians. Uh, It's kind of interesting when you contrast it to some of the things that we see in Galatians and and certainly in the book of Corinthians, or the first and second book there. Uh, But unlike those, Paul does not write here to the Philippians in order to really rebuke or correct any failures or errors necessarily. Um, outside of exhorting in chapter 4, Yodius and Syntyche, that they be of the same mind in the Lord, uh, there's not a lot of rebukes or corrections that the Apostle Paul gives to the, the folks at Philippi. Uh, there's not really much of a hint of, of any of those things. We don't see things like we do in Galatians. Chapter 3 and verse 1, it says, O foolish Galatians, the Apostle Paul addresses them. In that matter, in 1 Corinthians 3.3, 3, he says this uh, to those at Corinth, For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? That would be something that would be very concerning if somebody were to come to our church and say that of us. We ought to be walking in the Spirit and, and honoring God. We ought not be carnal. But instead, we see things in chapter 2 and verse 12, kind of the beginning of our text. We'll read our text here in a moment. But this is what the Apostle Paul says of those at Philippi, the Philippians. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. And so he's speaking to those that are obedient to the word of God. They're they're doers of the word, if you will. Uh, They're walking with God. Uh, They're an obedient people. I trust that can be said of us today, that we're obedient. But in a moment, we're going to look at an exhortation that the Apostle Paul gives uh, in our text. It'll be verses uh, 14 through 16 uh, about a danger to those that walk in obedience and faithfulness. 
But I, I came across something this week. There's a, an author, I think he's an old... There, I, I read his profession of faith. I believe he was a saved man. He wasn't an independent Baptist. But nonetheless, I believe God can use people that don't claim independent Baptist. But Jerry Bridges is his name, and he wrote a book called Respectable Sins. Respectable Sins. And in the preference of that book, here's what he says, and I quote, The motivation for this book stems from a growing conviction that those of us who I call conservative evangelicals may have become so preoccupied with some of the major sins of society around us, listen to this, that we have lost sight of the need to deal with our own more refined or subtle sins. I'm afraid that's true. It goes back to the old deal with the beam in your eye before you address the moat, but oftentimes we think these are subtle things. And, and he goes on in his book to deal with things like anxiety, selfishness, pride, worldliness, anger, unthankfulness, discontentment, and more. Uh, but today we're going to look at one that I believe we are guilty of more often than we would like to admit. Today we're going to talk about murmuring members. Murmuring members is the title of today's message. And so hopefully this morning, Lord willing, I'm going to preach to you about murmuring, discontentment a little bit. Uh, we need to be careful of these things. So if you would, if you're able, stand with me in honor of reading the Word of God. And look at me within our text, Philippians chapter 2. We're going to kind of interrupt some of the things here. Uh, there's, there's much going on here in chapter 1, you guys that have been coming uh, to the series on striving together, we know in chapter or verse twenty-seven in chapter one that uh, only let your conversation be, be as it becometh the gospel, and that we ought to be doing those things that are representative of our salvation and really our citizenship in heaven. And so our life ought to be ordered around that. Chapter two, we see the humility of Christ, and we're to have His mind. And, and Lord willing, we'll look at verse three and four a little bit. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. So that's kind of the backdrop as we pick up reading here in verse 14. Well, let's read verse 13. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. And what I want you to see here today, when we look at verse 14, it says, Do all things without murmurings and disputings, and in the latter verse of verse 15, it says, You shine as lights in the world. Our murmuring and disputings can hinder our shining. Whining hinders shining, if you will. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, Lord. I thank you for the people that are here. Lord, what a blessing it is that we can gather together today and look at your word in freedom. And so, Father, I pray that we would not be negligent but that we would take these things seriously. And Lord, that we would look into ourselves and examine ourselves and not worry about our neighbor, 
and those around us, but Father, that we would just examine our hearts. And Lord, I pray that as we do this, that you would just cut hearts today, Lord. We know the Word of God is quick and it's powerful, and so we ask, Lord, that it would have free course in the hearts today. And I pray that we would be a yielding people to whatever you reveal to us, and that we would deal with whatever sin may come up. Lord, help us to leave this place more like Christ. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Murmuring and disputing. It's a major temptation for the obedient to murmur and to grumble, even in our obedience. Um, Those of you that have raised children, I'm sure, have experienced this. They're given a direction, and they comply but perhaps you hear out of the corner of your ear a little, what was that? They're being obedient, but their heart isn't right. But I'm afraid that can be said of many of us today. That's why the Apostle Paul says to do everything without murmuring and disputing. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Those things reveal what's inside. When we begin to grumble, we begin to whine and complain. Listen, nobody likes a whiner to begin with. I know I don't. And I'll tell you what, in my home, Mrs. DeGarmo did not like whining. Ask my boys. Uh, There were a couple things that got a quick glue stick. They're very effective, by the way. But blatant disobedience and murmuring. Those were things that Mrs. DeGarmo just wouldn't mess with. And uh, we ought not mess with that in our children. It, listen, uh, l- I, well, let me not get ahead of my notes. I got some, some thoughts in here. I don't want to get ahead of myself. We ought to be obedient people without murmuring, without disputing. We ought not be complaining or sulking or arguing. The idea of disputing there. Uh, no back talk. But this is a temptation for the obedient people is to offer a frustrated, grumbling obedience. Paul commended the Philippian believers. But here he says, be careful. You can do the right thing with the wrong attitude. Murmuring, uttering complaints in a low voice or sullen manner, grumbling, complaining, as Webster defines it. Disputing the act of contending by words or arguments, controversy, altercation. So these are things that that come up in our homes from time to time. They come up in our churches, do they not? Lord, help us. I'll never forget, soon after I was, uh, the Lord had got a hold of my heart. I was saved a few years prior, but God got a hold of my heart. And, and I, just, I just remember surrendering to Him and, and wanting to live for Him. <clears throat> and so I began being faithful to church. I, w- I was baptized and I began uh, faithfully attending for the first time in my life. And I'm not sure, I may have even already begun to work in the bus ministry at this point, but I distinctly remember a time where my dad had given me some direction. And it was to go out in the garage and to do some things. And I obeyed. But the entire, we had a detached garage from the house, but the entire walk from the back door to the garage, I was murmuring. I was whining. 
Uh, I was complaining. I was frustrated with him and, and what he was doing and why he was giving me this direction. So under my breath, the whole route, I, I did that. And, and I got to the door and I even slammed the garage door when I went in. Dad had instructed me to take care of some things that he'd asked of me. And I was going to do that. But my heart wasn't right. And my dad heard the door slam. And he corrected me. Praise the Lord for a dad that would do such a thing. Listen, what I'm telling you this morning is we can do all the right things and not have the right attitude about it. Things aren't going our way. It's not happening how we want. And we start to murmur. Maybe we start disputing amongst each other. Disagreeing how we're going to execute something. But I want to remind you this morning, God takes murmuring serious. Very, very serious. People have died, been killed for murmuring. That's how serious God takes this. And, and so we ought to be so thankful for God's long suffering and patience with us as we see how much it displeases the Lord to be a whiner, to murmur. And I would encourage you to read the book of Numbers uh, when you have time. Make time. And look at the people of Israel. But if you want to turn there with me this morning, we'll look at a few verses here just to remind you about how serious uh, God takes this idea of complaining, murmuring. And we won't read it all. I won't necessarily make comments on, uh, on each, each one here. But if we start, we'll pick up in, in chapter 11 of Numbers. Verse 1, it says, And when the people complained... It displeased the Lord. That ought to be enough for us to say, whoa, wait a second here. This is not pleasing to God. <laughs> but, but they don't stop there. And the Lord heard it, and His anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them. Look what it says. And consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. And the people cried unto Moses, and when Moses prayed unto the Lord, the fire was quenched. And so Moses intervenes on their behalf. And let's just go ahead for the sake of time. I I might run out of time this morning, so let's move on. Chapter 12, verse 1. And Miriam and Aaron spake against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. And they said, Hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? Hath he not spoken by us? And the Lord heard it. Boy, they begin to murmur. Listen, when you uh, are murmuring or complaining about Somebody that God has put in leadership, you're ultimately complaining about God. So we need to be careful, and and God hears it. The latter part of verse 2, and the Lord heard it. Listen, God can hear. Uh, Listen, He knows your heart. You're not hiding it from Him. Listen, you might have a murmuring or or negative attitude that's affecting our church, and, and I don't know that. The rest of the people don't know that, but the Lord knows. And he's not pleased, to say the least. Verse three. Now, when or now the man of, or now the man Moses was very meek above all the men that were upon the face of the earth. And the Lord spake suddenly unto Moses and unto Aaron and unto Miriam, Come out, ye three, unto the tabernacle of the congregation. And there they came out. Boy, have you ever been called on to the carpet? The Lord heard their their complaint. And he calls them out. And, and, and for the sake of time, again, you, you can read these things for yourself. And, and Moses ends up intervening on them. I, uh, I believe this is the account where they get leprosy. We'll go to chapter 14. 
Verses 1 through 5, And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt? Or would God we had died in this wilderness? And wherefore hath the Lord brought us unto this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should be a prey, were it not better for us to return into Egypt? Well, these were people that were begging God to get them out of Egypt. But they began to murmur. They were discontent with how God was working in their lives. And they said one to another, let us make a captain and let us return into Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces. And so we see them interceding on the people's behalf again. Jump down to verse 27. Same chapter 14 in the book of Numbers. How long shall I bear with this evil congregation which murmur against me? I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel, which they murmur against me, saying to them, As truly as I live, saith the Lord, as ye have spoken in mine mine ears, so will I do to you. Verse 29, Your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness, and all that were numbered of you, according to your whole number, from twenty years old and upward, which have murmured against me. They failed to experience the blessings of God because of their murmuring. They die in the wilderness. Their carcasses lay waste, if you will, because of their murmuring. God takes murmuring serious. It displeases Him. It angers Him. He doesn't like it when we're murmuring a people. They died in the wilderness because of their murmuring. And really, because of his mercy and long-suffering, the rest of, of those 20 years old and older died <clears throat> over the course of the next 40 years. Uh, listen, God didn't kill him right away just because he's long-suffering and merciful. We know that if he did, the, the, the youngsters would be overtaken. But go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, if you would. So we see a warning or a reminder here. In 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1, it says, Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant, how that all our fathers were under the cloud and passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that, that rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with many of them was not well pleased, but with many of them God was not well pleased. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples. To the intent we should not lust after evil things. That they also lusted. Neither be idolaters as some of them. As it is written the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day. Three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ. As some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all things happen unto them for in samples. And they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. And so we have warning after warning after warning. God has penned these things about murmuring in the pages of Scripture that we might learn from that. But we're a heart of learning. I know I can be. Listen, I've been in church for 
over 20 years. And I'm embarrassed and ashamed to admit that I murmur occasionally. I complain. I, I begin disputing. It's not pleasing to God. And so listen to me this morning. We see in Scripture and by how Paul addresses the believers who in Philippi, it is clear that how we obey matters. We, we know the verses that God looks on the heart and man looks on the outward appearance. Listen, we need to be reminded of today that God knows our heart. But sometimes we get comfortable in our murmuring, we get comfortable in our complaining because we don't think that God's looking at and concerned with those things. Or maybe somebody notable isn't witnessing that. Boy, the preacher hasn't heard about that, so it's okay. Listen, it's not pleasing to God. God hasn't changed, by the way. He was willing to kill somebody in the Old Testament. By the grace of God, here we are. Because we've murmured. And we've whined and we've complained. Because we didn't like something or how things were going. We, the reality is we're just discontent with what God is doing in our lives. We need to be careful. The spirit beneath our actions matters. God's standards and expectation for us isn't merely obedience. That was never just my expectation for my children either. I wanted them to obey with the right heart attitude. We want our children to obey all the way, right away, and cheerfully. That's the expectation that our God has of us. That we would do the same. How can we hold our children to a different level of accountability than we are going to hold ourselves between us and our God? Murmuring, disputing is something we would expect from the world. Listen, they're at enmity with God. But there is no place for murmuring and disputing among the people of God. None. Do you have Christ? Do you have clothing? Do you have food? Those are all the things that we need to be content, the Word of God tells us. He's never leave us, nor going to forsake us. We need to be content with Christ. But the reality is God has blessed us with so much more. I had to decide what tie to wear today because I have multiple ties. Some of my clothes don't fit, but that's not God's fault. It's my fault. (laughs) The retired life's a good life. Listen this morning, we have so much to be thankful for. And I would even, really, I'm going to draw this into us here as a church. We'll talk about some family applications and some things, but my goal is to apply it to us here corporately as a church. Our attitude affects our ability to minister. It really does. We need to be obedient all the time. There's really no place for us to be murmurers. And we'll often say, let's park it here. Preach it. Our kids need to hear this stuff. But the reality is us as adults need to hear it. I got this highlighted in my notes. Perhaps our kids have learned that murmuring is acceptable behavior by watching you. Maybe you say, man, I I don't know why these kids are such whiners. Well, have you examined yourself? Listen, I have to admit that I've been guilty of that and then I've tried to correct my children for the very thing that I was doing. God help us. 
And so today we understand that partial obedience is disobedience. If our kids don't finish a task wholly and with the right attitude, we will deal with it. We should expect nothing less of ourselves as we minister into church. We must understand grumbling obedience, irritated obedience, frustrated obedience is disobedience. We must press this truth into every corner of our life. So certainly it will affect our marriages and our, in our homes. And I get it. We all have hardships. We have frustrations in life. It might be a boss, a, a difficult coworker. It, it might be the tone of voice or an annoying habit of your spouse or one of your children. But let's be honest this morning. Sometimes our spouses are annoying. Amen. And I'm saying that because I annoy my wife, not because she's annoying. But listen, can we be honest today? There's little things that, that bother us, and, and oftentimes we respond back harshly and grumbly, and, and there have been times that things have taken place. Took, 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 I took a night somewhere. Things have taken place <laughs> in our lives, in our, in our homes, in our churches, and we find ourselves grumbling under our breath. God, help us. That's not pleasing to God. And we'll try to justify it and make it sound like it's okay, but it's not. Whatever the frustration, how often do you find yourself attempting to obey God while muttering and murmuring about the hardship? How often is there a hitch in your obedience or some type of an edge to your obedience, some self-pity in your obedience? It's like we say to ourselves, I'll do the right thing, but there will be enough reluctance and grumbling accompanying this obedience that everyone will be know what it's cost that everyone will know what it's costing me. Nobody wants to work with that person. Nobody wants to be around that person. Some of us grumble directly about God. Why is he doing this to me? Why are these things happening in my life? We grumble about the circumstances that he's allowed. Conveniently forgetting the truth that nothing comes into our lives except by His hand. But we, we grumble, we complain. Others of us, because we're more spiritual, we grumble about people. We disguise our complaints against God by focusing them on other people around us. You're no more spiritual than the person that's grumbling to God. We rationalize it all sort, in all sorts of ways. and I'm not grumbling about God. I'm just being honest about the failures and sins of other people. This is precisely where we need to apply this principle in our life. Listen, we, you guys aren't as, as, as fun to get along with as you think. And I know I'm not. We all have idiosyncrasies. We all have things that we do that are annoying. And what's the example that we have in the earlier parts of Philippians chapter 2 that Christ humbled himself? He tells us not to esteem ourselves better than anyone else. Yet we start murmuring and complaining and, and highlighting all of the everyone else's failures. Disguising it in the, in the absurd notion that we're being spiritual about things. Did you know that you're never called to make a judgment on whether somebody's right with God or not? 
There's a time for, I understand there's a time for judgment, but it's not up to you. Listen, you're just called to love and to serve them. To serve them. That means to put their needs and, and their desires and their things ahead of yours. You're to esteem yourself low. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem other better than themselves. Everyone in this room ought to be better than you is your, your assessment. It ought to be your assessment today. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Listen, as we gather here today, you ought to be more concerned about everyone else in this facility than what you're going to get out of it today. Are you here to serve? Are you here to minister? Or are you just going to come here and grumble and complain about everything? Or maybe you just have the one thing that really gets you here at Liberty. I, I can't believe we do this that way. Listen, you're hindering our ability to shine our light and to spread the gospel because of your murmuring. God is not pleased. Your conversation isn't becoming of how it ought to be. You whiner. And, and there is a difference between faithful groaning from ungodly grumbling. Groaning and lamenting can be good and right. They can be faithful responses to real pain. There's a time to mourn. There's those things. That, I'm not saying that there's... Uh, but I, I hope you understand what I'm talking about. I'm talking about murmuring. I'm talking about disputing and, and getting, all, getting our heckles up. I had to Google that, by the way. Anybody know what it is? When an animal's hair comes up, when they're agitated or they're getting aggressive, they feel threatened. But listen, oftentimes we do that. We don't like the way something's doing, so we get our heckles up and we're, we're all fired up about something. We need to be careful. So what distinguishes this from grumbling and sinful complaining? Often it's just honesty. Do we take the pain to God directly or do we come at it sideways as complaints about God's wisdom and distinguished as observations about other people? Listen, we just need to be honest. Do you bring it to God as part of offering yourself totally to Him or does it simmer on a low boil in your soul and come out in a frustrated, circuit, frustrated service and, or a sulking obedience? Certainly we can apply this to our marriages. I've alluded to that. A murmuring in our marriage is a marriage killer. Murmuring or mumbling exposes that you are in the comparison trap. You're keeping score. Which of us has the tougher job? Who has sacrificed more? Are you grumbling and complaining? And uh, It's really just an outworking of self-pity in a subtle, sneaky way of looking at a form of selfishness. These things happen in our marriages. I contribute far more. I, what, what? Uh, oh, don't even, uh, I better move on. <clears throat> Sometimes we use the self-pity to manipulate. We wield our sacrifices as a weapon to get our way in our homes. Try to use it against them. We try to steer others by our complaining. We start murmuring and complaining and, and trying to convince them to do things for us and to 
alter their course. And oftentimes we recognize this when we're the target of the manipulation. Has such manipulation ever brought us deeper into a joyful fellowship with the grumbler? Never in my experience. Did you ever call forth the gratitude and joy that it supposedly sought? No, it doesn't work that way. Of course not. Seeing it in our spouse is the easy part. The hard part is recognizing it in ourselves. Removing the beam from our own eye and treating others the way that we want to be treated. We need to be careful in our marriages. Ask yourself this morning, how am I doing with my marital obedience? How am I doing with those marital vows? Having and holding in sickness and in health. Husbands, how's your loving and leading? Wives, how is your honoring and obeying? What's the spirit beneath your obedience? Murmuring and disputing? Or glad-hearted in gratefulness? Do you find yourself undering under your breath while doing the dishes? Or complaining to friends about your husband or your wife? Are you keeping score this morning? Or are you keeping short accounts? Because these things come up. But we need to deal with them. Don't let the record of the wrongs of this week follow you into the next. We can widen it a little bit and apply it to the family or to parenting. Here's a scenario, dads. I know none of you have ever experienced this, but you're in one room working on something, and it could be a job or, or honey-do list, whatever the case may be. Maybe you're reading, doing something. But from the other room, you hear a quarrel break out. You hear, or you hear your kids back talk your wife. And you listen for a minute and see if it's going to resolve itself, but it doesn't. And so you must interrupt your work or, or whatever you're doing to deal with this. After all, you're the head of the home and you have the responsibility to reprove, to correct, to discipline, and you've resolved to obey God. But will your obedience shine? Are you going to walk into a big mess of sin and bring more sin? Because grumbling obedience, frustrated obedience... Exasperated obedience is disobedience. A dad can often come in and explode. I can't. That's a form of grumbling, murmuring. It's an indication of your heart. Bringing more disputing to the situation. Demanding. Listen, we're called as parents to bring up our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The instruction and correction of Christ, Ephesians 4 tells us. Do you pursue that task with joyfulness and gladness of heart? Are you going to walk into that room with a happy heart, doing it heartily as unto the Lord? Or maybe your response is more like what I've been guilty of in the past. How many times do I have to remind you to pick up your room and take out the trash? 
Certainly kids need to be obedient, but I, I hope you understand what I'm saying today. How are we approaching that? What are we teaching our kids in how we obey? Because they, listen, our kids are here in the preaching. They know that we're supposed to bring up nurture, admission of the Lord. We're supposed to have a joyful heart. But when we deal with our kids, and we don't do it as unto the Lord with the right heart attitude, that is just them learning from us that it's acceptable to be obedient to God the wrong way, which is disobedience. God often times reminds us to shepherd our children with joy to demonstrate His love to them. There's a time for correction, but it needs to be done with the love of Christ. It can be done properly. The same applies to our children. So if you're a child today, which all of you are, or at least were at some point in in the home of your parents, do you honor and obey your parents all the way? Right away? With a happy heart? Or do you wait to obey until your parents have answered all your questions first? Does your obedience come with a side of back talk? If we can't get it down in our home, there's no way it's going to happen here. Now, outwardly, it might appear that things are good. But again, the heart's not right. We're putting on a show for the people of the church. And God is displeased. And our ability to shine is hindered. So a little wider application in the church. Here's where I have it. How often do you get your hackles up over something we don't like in church? What happened to Philippians 2, 3, and 4? We looked at those that were to esteem others better, but for some reason we just got to have it our way. Our service in the church is not about you. It's not about us. It isn't about you, snowflake. Remember what I introduced this with, Philippians 1.27? It's about Christ. It's about the gospel. It's about putting others before ourselves just as Jesus did. It's about our responsibility to share the gospel in our community. If we are a bunch of whiners, it will hinder our effectiveness as lights in the world. Philippians 2.15, that ye may be blameless and harmless sons of God without rebuke in the midst of the crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Our lack of whining increases our shining. You may be hindering our church and you don't even think you are. But if you're murmuring, if you're disputing, if you're, claim, if, if, if you're whining and complaining, you're hindering our ability collectively. He's speaking to the church, to the people at Philippi to, collectively together. That they ought to be of one mind and one spirit going forward. Certainly if you're murmuring about others, that's not the case. So this morning, are you content with Christ? I would say murmuring and disputing is a revelation that you're not. At least not content with the circumstances he has with you in your life right now or that's causing you to murmur and complain. God, help us to be content with Christ and the circumstances God has allowed in our lives. We all have different circumstances. We all have different situations. 
There's no reason to be murmuring and disputing amongst ourselves because it's all about Christ. We will face different challenges, but we need to band together nonetheless. Most of us have enough social tact to avoid grumbling at guests. But do you harbor resentment and bitterness toward family members, church family members? We need to be careful as a church. Listen, last time we were in here, we talked about striving together. We can't accomplish this individually. We need one another. And we ought to be demonstrating the love of Christ to one another. So be careful not to have an edge about you. If you find yourself thinking, nobody appreciates all I do. Nobody appreciates how many details I manage, how much time I spend trying to make everything special. We must remember a simple truth. Every man, according as he purposes in a heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. I think we can make that application here. Certainly in our finances, that, that would be true. And we won't excuse ingratitude or selfishness in others. That's not what I'm saying, but we may not use the failures of others to justify our disobedience. But we have a responsibility to have the right attitude. There is a difference between addressing sin and grumbling about unaddressed sin. And a difference exists between addressing sin directly and passive-aggressively murmuring about it. If it bothers you, and it needs to be dealt with, you need to man up and deal with it. Listen, we ought to be going to one another, asking for forgiveness, ensuring we haven't offended one another, because we want to be of one mind, of one spirit striving together. And so don't murmur against your fellow church members. Listen, that's a, that's a miserable marriage, right? When, when you, you and your wife have issue with one another, it's not fun, but the same thing applies here at the church. We can't murmur against each other and expect everything to be good and right. Lord, help us. Do we, all, do, we do all things without murmuring and disputing? Look what the verse says. Do all things. Everything. There should be no murmuring or disputing named among us. And as we close today, I want to remind you, we're doing this for the Lord. You're not obedient to God in your role as a husband for your spouse. You're not obedient to God in, in your role as a parent for your children. We're not obedient in doing the things that we ought to do collectively here as a church for the church. Now that's a byproduct of this, but we need, must remember that it's all for the Lord. Listen, I want to say you, you ought not even be a good employee for your employer. But it's as unto the Lord. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord. And not unto men. Knowing that the Lord ye shall of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance. For ye serve the Lord Christ. Boy, and we often love to say those things. Do it heartily as unto the Lord. And we neglect verse 25, and it says, But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. You are not an exception today to get away with it. 
So if your service isn't heartily as unto the Lord, with the right spirit and the right attitude trying to please the Father, God will have no respect of persons when it's time to deal with it. Remember, God is watching and He sees your heart attitude. We understand that God loves a cheerful giver, not a grumbler. So as we give ourselves to the church, as we come here collectively to serve, to minister, to exhort and encourage one another, we need to be cheerful givers. And certainly be a cheerful giver when you're dropping stuff in that treasure box in the back. God loves cheerful obedience. Not murmuring and disputing. He loves cheerfulness. Listen, and He really loves it, especially when things are hard. We won't take the time, but I can share some verses with you. It's much more thankworthy when we do the right thing, even when we're not rewarded for it in this life. Even if we're buffeted for it, the Word of God tells us. God has enough grace to get us through, does He not? The Apostle Paul talks about him doing this with joy and uh, in verse 16, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. And so he's saying, listen, I want to hear that you guys are doing these things and you're doing it right. I want to joy, rejoice. We want uh, those fathers of the faith, if you will, to be pleased and, and able to rejoice before God that those things are done with the right kind of obedience. And so today, the question I'll leave you with is, do you have an obedience that shines in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation? Or do you just fit in with everyone else in a rotten attitude? It's easy to do. Our attitude and obedience affects our ability to shine as the lights of this world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you, Lord, for this day. Lord, I thank you for your word, and I thank you, Lord, for what you've done in my heart with this passage. And so today, I pray, Lord, that our church would be a cheerful Lord, a church that's excited and content with Christ, Lord, and that we would not murmur and complain and dispute amongst one another. Lord, help us to get victory in our families, get victory in our marriages. But Lord, today I pray that we would have victory in this area in our church. Lord, that we would truly esteem others better than ourselves and that we would consequently be able to shine as lights in this crooked and perverse nation. And so, Father, we pray that you do work in each and every heart today. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.